Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, getting you ready for football season, you'll hear conversation excerpts from two guests. Joshua Cooley has written a book that highlights the presence of Christians on the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl championship team from last season, exploring the impact these devoted men made on the team. Then you'll hear part of the inspiring story of Seattle Seahawks executive Ben Malcolmson. He was a walk-on at the University of Southern California and tells about his journey with Christ through an admittedly challenging time. Then she's someone who is known for her popular YouTube videos, the result of deciding to step out and be brave, a contrast to the attitude that she had possessed for much of her life. Meet Melissa Radke, who shares about how God has worked in her life. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Curtis Hauk of Newsbusters, an arm of the Media Research Center, who discusses a recent survey of millennial women on a variety of issues, one of which was abortion, in which a strong majority of those women surveyed favored at least some restriction on the procedure. Finally, his story is featured in a motion picture which offers encouragement based on what God did in the lives of families facing different types of brokenness. Meet Nashville businessman Randy Hartley. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Joshua Cooley is an author who has released two books recently relative to the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. One is entitled The Biggest Win, Pro Football Players Tackle Faith, which provides a closer look at several Eagles players and how their Christian faith operated in their lives. Joshua has also co-written a memoir from Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles called Believe It!, here now is Joshua Cooley. It was really a wonderful, remarkable process, all, of course, by God's grace. Um, it started uh, really last spring, spring of 2017. I, I got to know these guys through a magazine story I was doing on them, a Bible study magazine um, that published in the fall uh, d- during the season, during the Super Bowl season. Um, but while I was working on that all throughout the spring and early part of the summer before the season even began, I was just so impressed with uh, their faith. And th- this would have been about six players on the team, uh, in- including Carson Wentz, uh, Nick Foles, and-, and about four other guys. And so uh, j- just so impressed with their faith, their-, their knowledge of God's Word. They were just quoting Scripture to me left and right, uh, th- their desire for uh, deep uh, personal Christian community together. That's just not something I've seen often in all my time as a sports writer, um, especially uh, such a solid group of guys on one team. So the wheels started turning in my mind, and I thought, I wonder if there's something more here than just one magazine story. Um, so I, I I thought there might be a book idea there. So I pitched the idea to a publisher. They liked it. I went back to the players and, and uh, told them about it. They were all on board. And so, um, yeah, that, that's how the biggest win came to be. And what I really wanted to do was just create a book that was um, um, valuable to all sports fans, talking about things that all sports fans and, and, and athletes can benefit from with, um, you know, the, the, the testimonies and the experiences of elite pro athletes speaking into those things. And then, of course, my friendship and relationship with, with Nick uh, Foles that grew out of that book led me to help um, 
collaborate with him on his memoir, uh, Believe It. So it was just a, a real treat to be able to do both those books. And this book, The Biggest Win, actually centers on these six players with the Eagles at the time. I believe it, that at least one of them is no longer with the team. That would, would I know Trey Burton is no longer with the Eagles. Are the rest of them still there? That's right. Yeah, yeah so the, the, the six players are uh, Nick and Carson, uh, Trey Burton, who's, again, with the Chicago Bears, Zach Ertz, uh, Chris Maragos, and Jordan Hicks. Well, how did these guys? I, obviously, they're in the in the locker room, and you've got to you you've got to say the hand of God was was part of this and bringing this, these six guys together. Tell me just a bit how God really began to use these guys and to to help them to see that common faith they had. It, it's a really neat story of just God's kingdom at work. Um, you, you know, we, we see that in this particular locker room, and but it's really a microcosm of, of God's kingdom at work overall because, you know, there's different ethnicities at play. There's, there's high draft picks like Carson Wentz, and there's guys who are undrafted uh, and maybe don't get all the limelight, like a, a guy like um, Chris Maragos, who, uh, again, didn't get drafted, a uh, special teams player. So it, it really runs the gamut, and it's neat to see all these guys uh, sharing uh, a common faith. And, and, you know, all those things, the money, the position, the titles are all thrown away when you focus on faith and, and you know, being brothers and sisters in Christ. And so that's a, that's a really neat thing. And that's something that we focus on in, in the book, in, in The Biggest Win. I have a chapter called A Community Affair, and it's really Sports is an amazing way that you can build community that, um, you know, maybe you can't do in other contexts because people rally around sports. You can have uh, conversations that maybe you can't with people uh, in, in other ways, but, but sports allows you to do that. So uh, through the book, I encourage people who are fans and athletes to look for ways uh, that sports gives you to create those communities um, to share your faith and to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ with others. And, and the Eagles did that last year, and they're continuing to do that. How can you, as a reader of this book, do that as well? Joshua Cooley here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website joshuacooleyauthor.com. Next, it's Ben Malcolmson, Director of External Relations for the Seattle Seahawks and assistant to head coach Pete Carroll. He shared with me recently about his experience as a walk-on football player and his Christian testimony. He's written the book Walk On from Pee Wee Dropout to the NFL Sidelines, My Unlikely Story of Football, Purpose, and Following an Amazing God. This has been Malcolmson now. Yeah, well, I had covered the football team there uh, for three years, and that was kind of in the glory days of USC when they were number one team three straight years in a row, and uh, all the Heisman Trophy winners and just all the, the success that they were experiencing. And those, those were the three years I was covering the team for the student newspaper. And I was gearing up to graduate and wanted to write one final good story about the team and saw a little alert for tryouts coming up for walk-ons. And they kind of do an open casting call for students there on campus. And I figured, well, why don't I write a story about these guys, but not just write a story, but go through the tryout <laughs> myself and write about it from a first-person perspective and show how hard it is. So I thought it was just a unique story angle. There was 
literally no chance of me making the team because this was the number one team in the country. I was vastly undersized. I mean, I was a late bloomer to the extreme, and I hadn't played football since fifth grade. So it was uh, it was it was going to be a total joke. I can make fun of myself <laughs> and uh, just put a good article out from there. So you actually, before you did the tryout, you kind of let Coach Carroll in on what you were trying to do. So, t- so tell me about your experience trying out for the team. What was it like? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I had, since I had covered the team for three years, I'd gotten to know Coach Carroll from just a journalist perspective of interviewing him and, and all that. But I went up to him one day and I was like, Coach, I have this idea to to try out for the football team to write this article. Can I do it? And he says, he kind of laughs at me. He's like, it won't be very interesting, but go for it. (laughs) Um, So uh, if only he knew how interesting it was going to become because I go through the tryout and it was so hard. I mean, I was I was running a 40-yard dash for the first time in my life. I was going through agility drills. I was running routes as a wide receiver and things I had never really done before in my life. Um, and it was really hard to get home that night. I'm, I'm black and blue, and, and my legs are sore and tired. And I started writing the story, and I realized, I mean, this is going to be the best story I've ever gotten in my life. And I was just amazed. At, I got to try out for the the best college football team in the country at the time. This was really, really special. So it was going to be an amazing story um, just in and of itself. I was really excited for that. You've tried to start a Bible study. You started a prayer group or tried to. You were trying to, or you had distributed the Bibles. You weren't getting a whole lot of buy-in or no buy-in at all from your teammates. How did that affect your faith? Man, it, it definitely drove me closer to God because I was so desperate and I just needed Him. Um, I was on this journey trying to figure out why He had me there and sure felt like everything was failing at the time, but it just kept bringing me back to Him and kept me seeking His face and uh, seeking His hand because I knew that He was faithful and I knew that He's always good, whether circumstances right in front of you are proven that or not, but He is always faithful and He's always good. And, I just kept coming back to him, and it it was hard. It was really hard, but in the end, it definitely grew me and, and strengthened my faith and my trust in him, um, and I'm so thankful for it looking back. Tell me why it is that you, you at this particular point in time, felt called to write this book. Yeah, I, I've been feeling the nudge on my heart for a little while and uh, for a couple of years, and and books take a while to, to get going. I mean, we, the process to write the book was two and a half years, so um, it really got going about two and a half years ago after sharing the story uh, just from a stage uh, at, at churches and, and to youth groups and to businesses. Um, but you can only reach so many people that way. And finally uh, got connected with a collaborator who helped me write the book. Her name is Patty McCord, and she was incredibly instrumental in making it happen. And, and here we are uh, two and a half years later, and we have a book. It just came out a couple weeks ago, and it's been it's been an amazing, uh, amazing time. So I'm so grateful for it. Ben Malcolmson here on The Intersection. His website address is benmalcolmson.com. Well, you're listening to the Intersection Podcast with Melissa Radke. She's received quite a bit of attention as a video blogger. She described for me some elements of her life and faith story, having made a decision to step out and be brave, as she relates in the book, Eat Cake, Be Brave. Here now from that recent conversation is Melissa Radke. (laughs) It all started the year that I turned 41. I mean, that's really what the book is about. It's about this year that I turned 41. I leaned over my cake to blow the candles out, and I made this wish, right, to be brave, to live bravely for 12 months, only 12 months. 
not the rest of my life. I was only going to give it 12 months that I would, you know, I would live outside of my comfort zone, outside of my box, so to speak. And one of the first things that I did after making this wish was my husband said, you need to put videos on the internet. I said, you are nuts. Absolutely <laughs> not. Not, I, you know, I didn't look the part. I mean, no offense to you, but you've, you've always heard the old saying, if you've got a face for radio, well, that's kind of, you know, that's how I felt. And so I thought girls like me should put out videos. And I don't look the part and people will make fun of me. He said, people will love you. You're relatable. And so I began to put out these videos and Probably the third or fourth one I ever put out went viral. To this day, has a hundred million views, and it was just because it was me. It was just me being me, not trying to do anything differently. And I thought, oh great, if this is me living brave, this is going to be a wild <laughs> year. And it absolutely was. My whole entire life changed. I bought my own cake for my own birthday at the mall. Oh. I went to the Luskin Mall to the cookie company and bought a cookie cake. I got home, I opened it up, and they had misspelled my name. So I bought my own cake for my own birthday, and then they misspelled my name. They put happy birthday, Melissa. And when I blew out the candles, I thought, isn't this just my life? Isn't this my life in a nutshell? Bought my own cake, they misspelled it. and But my children at that moment, they were saying, um, they were very young. They were like, I don't know, seven and nine maybe. And they were saying, Blow out your candles, Mama. Make a wish, Mommy. Don't tell us what you wish for, but you got to make a wish. And I found it kind of funny because, you know, as adults, we don't make wishes. Really, we don't make wishes when we blow out cakes. That's ridiculous. But they were putting so much stock into this wish that I thought, oh, what the heck? Let's do it. And that's when I made that wish. And, um, you know, people have asked me, do you really believe that that wish worked? No. What I believe was that for 12 months I committed to living outside of my comfort zone and to doing what, what um, to, to, to expanding the gifts and the callings that God had placed in my life, and the rest is history. Talk about the, the catalyst and really how your faith played into that decision. Yeah, you know, um, I am a, I'm, I'm a person of great faith. I, I, um, I talk about that a lot. I travel and speak, and, you know, I know that's not the case for everybody, but it is for me. And I don't ever want to come across too preachy because I really do feel like there's people who, who are not in a relationship with Christ who still need this message. And so this is what I say to that. When I lived in Nashville for 16 years, I dealt with a lot of rejection, a ton of it. Everyone said I could sing vocally that I had the chops to compete, but I did not have the look to compete. And so I had a producer tell me one time, man, Melissa, it's a shame you can sing that good because people just don't buy ugly. And so I lived in Nashville for 16 years, and I would tattoo myself, so to speak, not really because I'm a big chick, but I would tattoo myself with these words of rejection. And I came back to my hometown. I moved back home after 16 years with tattoos all over me, covering my entire body, things like too loud, too much, overweight, dreamer, not good enough. And um, here's the deal. This is where your faith comes into work. Because the only way that you can replace negative words with positive ones is to know what God has said about you. And that took a lot of work on my part. 
I had to look that stuff up. I had to look up the things that he calls us in Scripture. But what was ironic is if you took a piece of paper and you wrote down on one side all of the things that had been said about me by men and women in Nashville, Tennessee, if you wrote all of that down on one side and you wrote down on the other side of the paper everything God has said about us, it would cancel out the negative. Every single thing he says about us erases what the world has said. I just had to decide which one I would believe. And I decided that for 12 months I would, in, I would invest in learning who I was and who he said I was. And that changed my life forever. Melissa Radke here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website melissaradke.com. This is the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info or go to faithradio.org. You'll find a link to The Meeting House in the programming section. There at that homepage, you'll find a link to the media center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection Podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. You can also find the Intersection Podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org. And through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. And you can get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Curtis Houck is the managing editor of Newsbusters, an arm of the Media Research Center. In a recent conversation with me, he talked about some of the findings of a CBS News Refinery29 survey conducted by YouGov showing the attitudes of millennial women in several areas, including abortion. From that conversation, this is Curtis Houck. CBS and Refinery29 want to look at young women, and they looked at, you know, all, they tried to cover all kinds of different things. They talk about abortion, feminism, trust in the media, um, and the results were some were pretty surprising. Um, and I just want to jump because I I think the abortion one was particularly interesting. Yes. Now. You know, they can run around saying 72 percent are in favor or. Uh, Overall, 72% of the women polled, uh, which is women between the ages of 18 and 35, found that they're likely to be in favor of some kind of abortion restriction. Now, 28% want it, only 28% want abortion legal no matter what at any time. But uh, 34% want it legal in most cases, 25 want abortion illegal in most cases, and 13% want abortion le- illegal in all cases. So as my colleague Katie Yoder said, you do the math there, that's 72% are in favor of abortion restrictions in some capacity. Uh, and, and so the news media does a lot of you know, fear-mongering, as we all know, looking at talking about abortion and all sorts of other issues, trying to scare voters uh, into voting against faith-based conservatives. But uh, this poll found that less than half, about 45 percent, are worried about access to abortion becoming more restricted, um, whereas 26 percent worry it will become less restricted. And 29 percent of the women polled between the 18 and 35 are just unconcerned. They're not worried about it. Um, and, and as my colleague Katie Yoder points out, that you know this goes right against the grain of the things that 
Gloria Steinem, Cecile Richards are worrying about, uh, talking about, and as we're talking about the Supreme Court battle, people are fearful about women um, not being able to get any abortion or birth control or anything. Um, and so far, we're not seeing that. And young women, uh, you know, in this poll are showing that they're kind of maybe seeing through that. So I think uh, the abortion issue in particular, there's a number of other issues that we'll get into, but I think right off the bat, abortion and the findings of that were really interesting and very um, kind of go against the grain about what you might think, as you said in your intro, about my fellow millennials. Right. 72 percent. I think this bears repeating. I know it's bolded in the article that 72 percent of these women, again, between the ages of 18 and 35, likely to favor some kind of abortion restriction. And so that should be good news. I think it's consistent when we look at, for instance, events such as the March for Life, where you have a number of millennials that are coming out and showing their support for a pro-life position. So this is more proof of what may be taking place within that particular demographic. Right, exactly. And, and but, but knowing how the media works, you know, if they looked at that, they would say that, you know, uh, well, 62% want abortion or uh, more than that want abortion legal, uh, you know, eight, uh, 7%, yeah, if I did it right off the top of my head there, want it want abortion to remain legal in some capacity. Well, that's just spin right there uh, because, you know, that includes the people who want abortion legal in most cases and want abortion illegal in most cases. So therefore that they still want to have abortion in America. Um, when really, I think when you want to look at it and kind of talk about the results, it's actually the other way around. Curtis Halk here on The Intersection. The website address is newsbusters.org. Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Randy Hartley, executive producer of the movie Beautifully Broken, which depicts the lives of three families whose lives were intertwined and who experienced restoration out of brokenness. He shared with me about some aspects and themes of the film. From that conversation, this is Randy Hartley. It's a story about three families, and it's three families whose lives you would think would have never crossed. And yet, not only did they cross, but they became intertwined in a story that um, uh, where they really end up saving each other and is incredible. You're exactly right that if Hollywood tried to write the script, you could laugh it off. But um, you can't laugh it off because I lived it, and uh, and I think God helped write this script, and I just took dictation. Um, it's really a story about myself. I actually live outside of Nashville, Tennessee. been a financial planner, never been in the movie business before, never thought I would be. Uh, but years ago, uh, a family moved in near us uh, that were refugees from Rwanda, uh, a fellow by the name of William Wazerwa and his family that had escaped the genocide. And we had gotten to know them through the years. And by coincidence, we had been supporting a girl from Rwanda through Compassion International. Flash forward a few years, my daughter's life took a left-hand turn as she went through some trauma. And uh, she went from a typical teen to a boy, a teen who had issues way past what I was uh, equipped to deal with. And, and in the midst of all that, uh, I told William, I've got to take my daughter Rwanda. I want to go meet the, the girl we've been supporting. I tell people, God knows why I thought that was answer, but, but God knew why that was answer. I just didn't at the time. And anyway, the Missouri family led us back. We, we got to know that family. And it was, uh, 
such a transformational trip for both ourselves and the Mazeros who are going back for the first time since the genocide and facing many of the uh, the demons, I'd say, that that, uh, that sent them out of Rwanda. So it, it was an incredible story of these families becoming intertwined and um, one that you would uh, hardly think could be true, but it, mm. but it is. And, uh, and anyway, it'll be in theaters this weekend and hopefully it'll be uh, entertaining and inspiring for people. So basically we have the three families, of course your family, the Hartley family, you had your next door neighbors who had escaped the tragic Rwandan genocide, and then you had another family in Rwanda that is involved, and did you say that your neighbors actually knew this particular family, or was it another family that you were... Yeah, I didn't didn't really know them, um, but they led us back to them, and that's part of what's uh, amazing about the trip is we had somebody who had been persecuted and had to flee Rwanda, leading a family back to Rwanda to meet a family who's had been involved in the, the, the genocide itself. And so it's, it's an incredible story of these families coming together um, that you were on opposite sides, I guess you'd say. And yet they each family ultimately leaned on the other and saved each other. And and that's why it's such a story of redemption and forgiveness and reconciliation and uh, and hope and and all all mm. those wonderful things that um, if it was made up you could laugh it off. Um, and of but, course, but it wasn't. And yeah. you you mentioned the traumatic set of circumstances that your daughter was facing, and as I understand it, there was a relationship that was built between her and the the family in Rwanda. Correct. Well, there's no doubt about it. So it's really several relationships to to the daughters. But my daughter had been riding this girl from Rwanda, Amahosa, for 10 years. So Mm. we had gone to a Christian concert, uh, happened to reach under the seat and find the the sign-up card for Compassion International, and we did it. Little did we know, of course, that 10 years later that would lead to this trip that really ended up saving the family. But but my daughter had been riding. uh, Andrea and Amahosa had written letters back and forth for 10 years, and – it was one day in sheer desperation as a dad, um, feeling like I was at the end of my rope and not knowing what else to do. Uh, I happened to get this letter from Omahosa, and I thought, you know, I'm taking my daughter to Rwanda. God knows why I thought that was an answer, and God knew why that was an answer. So so we went there. But it's even beyond that because William had a daughter that worked with him at Legacy Mission Village who ended up kind of mentoring my daughter as well. So. Uh, the three daughters kind of created this um, uh, this network of, of support b- between each other, uh, almost the same way that the fathers did. Randy Hartley here on The Intersection. You can learn more through the website, beautifullybrokenmovie.com. This has been The Intersection Podcast, the weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more at meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Intersection podcast. Also, you can subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. And you can find the Intersection podcast through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you go to faithradio.org. Also through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find links to two blogs. One is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, you can get connected to video content, including recently added content 
from the CBA Unite event, which took place in Nashville recently. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.